This afternoon, our sermon text is from Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28. We pick up the narrative where we left off. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's funny, maybe I should say it's, it's tragic, how some things never really seem to change. It's been about 500 years since the Reformation. I think next year is the official kickoff. 1517 was Martin Luther's famous year. And among a whole number of problems the Reformers exposed during the Reformation, they exposed these problems in the Catholic Church. One at the time, it stands out especially among the others. The Reformers, they were adamant that salvation was through Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. Now, when we look back on this period of time, I think sometimes we can be quick to judge anyone who didn't trust in God alone, in Jesus alone. You know, how could they really think that they could contribute anything in any way to their salvation? But you know, while our official doctrine would, would deny that, that who we are or, or what we do as Christians or, or how we do church contributes at all to our salvation, well, that kind of thinking, I suspect it, it creeps into our thinking more than we would realize. Do we really completely, exclusively trust in Jesus Christ alone? Do we come to him with empty hands on our knees begging for his grace and mercy? Or do we sometimes place more emphasis than we really should as, on things as important as they might be, like, like who we are or, or what we do as Christians? 
Well, really, this type of thinking, it's, it's as old as the fall into sin. And so the story of the Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, it exposes the sinfulness of that kind of thinking. By Jewish standards at the time, she was worthless. She was unclean. And when this woman approached Jesus, she had nothing to offer. And she was dependent entirely on his grace and on his mercy. And so the Holy Spirit reminds us again today that eating from the bread of life, sharing in Jesus Christ and his salvation is not something we can earn. It's a gift of grace. So I've summarized the sermon under the following theme. Jesus allows a dog to eat crumbs from the master's table, and we will consider four things in this narrative. Jesus withdraws from Israel, a mother's desperate cry, a teachable moment, and finally, our gracious Savior. And I'm not going to announce these as we roll through, but I'm sure you'll be able to pick up where we are. Well, have you ever wondered what this story is doing here in Matthew 15? It starts so abruptly. Uh, other versions of, of uh, the Bible will, will separate this off with a heading, but here, I mean, the, the same effect is there. All of a sudden, he, Jesus, he, he just gets up and he leaves. And he goes to Tyre and Sidon. And there's no real explanation of why he does that. Well, Matthew, he didn't place this story at random in his gospel. And to appreciate its importance, we need to understand that it has everything to do with what happens before it during that confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. That's why he withdrew to a foreign land, so, so that he could teach his disciples privately. Well, at the end of Matthew 14, Jesus, he's on the western shores of the Sea of Galilee in a little town called Gennesaret, and he'd been there healing the sick as they were brought to him. And then at the beginning of Matthew chapter 15, another group shows up. Pharisees and scribes had followed Jesus and get this, they had followed him 160 kilometers from Jerusalem north all the way up to the Sea of Galilee. Well, what was so important that they had made this journey? They weren't driving. Why would they walk so far? Well, the Pharisees and scribes, they were so filled with hatred and suspicion over Jesus that they wanted to confront him and undermine his ministry over outward rituals of purity. And so they asked him, they said, what's the problem with your disciples? Well, they don't wash their hands before they eat. They're not following the tradition of the elders and so they, they wanted to discredit Jesus as a religious leader because his hygiene policy broke the elders' traditions and, and caused uncleanliness. Well, this got Jesus very upset. He was fed up with the hypocrisy and the unbelief of Israel's leaders. And quoting Isaiah 9, 29, he says to them, These people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Well, think about that. What was Jesus 
actually saying? Well, he was saying, you Pharisees, you say all the right things. You think you know your theology. You even appear to do all the right things, like washing your hands before you eat. And so from the outside, you look like perfect believers. But really, you're self-righteous. You're filled with anger. You're filled with bitterness. You're filled with greed. You're filled with pride and jealousy. Your religious displays, they mean nothing to, to God because you have no faith. And even worse, you use the traditions of the elders as a smokescreen for actually doing what the law demands, loving your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, you're spiritually dead. You're blind guides leading a blind people. Wow, well, that's cutting right to the heart. Well, the disciples' response, it shows the negative impact that these leaders had on Israel. Even they didn't understand. Jesus, what do you mean, they asked? And so to clarify, Jesus told the disciples that it wasn't externals that made someone clean or unclean, but it was the posture of their heart. You know, the Pharisees, they may have had clean hands, but they didn't understand love for their neighbor or true repentance or a need for God, a need for Jesus Christ. Their faith was in outward acts of righteousness instead of having repentant hearts. Well, Jesus' frustration must have been coming to a climax, and you begin to get a sense of of why he left Galilee at this point. You know, on the one hand, his comments, they exposed the sin that was in the Pharisees' hearts. And instead of repenting from their sin, we read that they were offended. They, They became angry with Jesus. And so he probably needed to leave there before they tried to do something to him. But on the other hand, his disciples still didn't understand what the real barrier is, was, between God and man. It wasn't dirty hands or a matter of what you ate or or who you were. Sin, a corrupt heart, makes a person unclean, and that's what prevents fellowship with God. And so before things escalated any further, Jesus, he he took off. He got up, he told his disciples to follow him, and, and off they went, leaving the false teachers behind. And that's where our text begins. But where did Jesus go? Well, he didn't go to Simon Peter's house in Capernaum that was right nearby, you know, Mark's version of this story, it tells us that, that Jesus, he wanted to be hidden away, away from opposition. And that couldn't happen in the land of Israel, not with crowds constantly looking for, for healings and, and Pharisees and scribes walking 160 kilometers northward to confront him about washing his hands. No, instead, he, he chose to take his disciples somewhere where no self-righteous Pharisee or scribe would dream of going. 
He took them outside the land of Canaan. In fact, that's the only time in his earthly ministry he does this. And so for Jesus, this was a time of deliberate withdrawal, but not escape. His death was coming near, and he wanted privacy so he could prepare for the end. But it wasn't so much that he wished to prepare himself, although that was probably on his mind. No, rather he wanted to teach his disciples, to prepare his disciples about what the cross meant. There were important things that he needed to teach them. So going northwest from Galilee, they traveled up the coast to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And then all of a sudden, in verse 22, their cover is blown. They found a quiet place to hide out and someone found them. But it wasn't a Pharisee that had tracked them down. It was a desperate Canaanite woman. Now, unlike Mark, Mark calls her a Syrophoenician, Matthew, he, he describes this woman as a Canaanite. That wasn't a word that was common anymore by the time of Christ. Why would Matthew call her a Canaanite? Well, Matthew, he's reminding us about Israel's arch enemies that the Lord had commanded Israel to destroy. We read in Deuteronomy 7, verse 2, And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. Well, if you've read your Old Testament, you know that this didn't happen. Israel, they, they failed to do what God had commanded. Well, we read about that this morning in Judges chapter 2. And so throughout Israel's history, the Canaanites, they always posed a threat, not just militarily, but because of their religious practices, their paganism. And time and again it happened. Israel, they turned away from the Lord and and they worshiped these Canaanite gods. And so Matthew, he's reminding us that the Canaanites were people under the judgment of God for one, but also that they were the picture of uncleanliness. Well, adding to this scandalous scene was the fact that this Canaanite was a woman. If you remember the story from John chapter 4, Jesus, he, he confronts this Samaritan woman at the well and in Samaria. And you, you might remember that, that it was socially unacceptable for a woman to be seen speaking to a strange man in that culture. The Samaritan woman, she said to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Well, a Samaritan woman, that was, that was a problem. But a Canaanite woman, well, that was a public relations disaster for a Jewish rabbi. And immediately she started making a scene. She was crying out to Jesus. The original language, it it gives the impression that she just kept it up. It was ongoing. She didn't just say it once, but she's following him and shrieking out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Again and again and again. Well, considering Matthew's description of the woman as a Canaanite, you can imagine how shocking her words must have seemed to the disciples. What would we have expected, maybe? 
You know, spiritually speaking, what she said was one of the last things the disciples would have expected to hear. Jesus had quietly slipped into foreign territory. But she recognized him as someone who could help her daughter, who had power over evil spirits. But more than that, she cried out, Lord, son of David. Well, how could she say that? How did she know who he was? Well, up to this point in Matthew's gospel, the only people who had addressed Jesus by that name were two blind men in Matthew chapter 9. And that's this question that's hanging in the air all throughout Matthew's gospel. Who will recognize that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Christ, the son of David? What the blind men saw by faith, the rest of the Jews, they could only begin to wonder about. Matthew 12, after Jesus cast out a demon, the people, they asked, oh, maybe, can this be the son of David? And then immediately, the Pharisees, they stamped it out, and they accused Jesus of casting demons out by the power of Beelzebub. And then ironically, here again, Matthew 15, verse 22, another person who was blind, at least spiritually speaking, she recognized Jesus as Lord, son of David. And she did this while Israel's religious leaders blindly refused to acknowledge him as king, a desperate Canaanite mother at her wit's end. And so here she was, an unclean woman confessing Jesus as the Christ, pleading for mercy. And so she followed him, shrieking out because her daughter was demon-possessed. But we don't know how much she knew about Jesus, but she did believe that the only man who, had come, who could help her daughter had come to town. The son of David was entire and sidon. And she wanted so desperately for her daughter to be healed that she wasn't going to stop bothering Jesus until he did something about it. Well, how would the Pharisees have labeled her? Do you think they would have given her the time of day? How would we label her? You know, aren't we sometimes guilty of using labels to excuse to excuse ourselves from, from helping the desperate. And that unclean, unlikely Canaanite woman, she confessed something with her mouth that could only have been placed in her heart by the Holy Spirit. In faith, she had come to Jesus for mercy. The only place where she could have found the grace and mercy she needed but would the disciples notice, or would they also write her off as an unclean foreigner? Well, despite her shrieking, Jesus, he waited. He said nothing. Well, what a strange response. Here's this desperate woman pleading for mercy, and Jesus ignored her. 
Well, in John chapter 4, it was Jesus. He initiated the conversation with that Samaritan woman, even though she didn't want it. And now this Canaanite woman, who had just made a confession about his messianic identity, something the Pharisees refused to see, was begging him to heal her daughter, and he says nothing. Why? Why wouldn't he respond? Why wouldn't he show her mercy like he did for others? Was he confused, do you think? Was he conflicted internally, do you think? Well, that's what some commentators suggest. They claim that Jesus, he stayed quiet as he wrestled with how he would proceed. They say his compassionate nature, on the one hand, it it came into conflict with the fact that he knew he was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, the problem with this suggestion, it's kind of a big one. There's, there's really no proof for it in the text. Also, if you remember the story in Matthew 8, Jesus, he had already demonstrated his willingness to heal a Gentile, a centurion's sick servant. And this is what he said. He said, truly, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Another unworthy Gentile, desperate for mercy. Well, instead, given the context, it seems like Jesus' silence, it was actually intentional. He was testing. He was teaching. And isn't that true in our lives, too? One author puts it so beautifully. God's tender heart must often ache listening to our sad, complaining cries. Our weak, impatient hearts cry out because we fail to see through our tear-blinded, short-sighted eyes that it's for our own sake that he doesn't answer or that he answers in a way we believe is less than best. In fact, it's the silences of Jesus in the Gospels that are as eloquent as his words. So what was Jesus teaching the Canaanite woman? What was he teaching his disciples? And what are we being taught today? Well, the disciples, they reacted first. They, they begged Jesus in verse 24. They said, send her away, Jesus. Her, her crying out is driving us crazy. Get her out of here. The disciples, they weren't ready to show her compassion. And Jesus, his his lack of response, it it seemed to confirm what they already thought. They had better things to do. No, and so did Jesus. Well, after an uncomfortable silence, Jesus finally spoke up. And the disciples, they must have been so relieved. You know, a few times in the Gospels, Jesus, he, he turns the tables on their expectations. And in the process, he embarrasses them. But this time, his comments were bang on as far as they were concerned. What does he say? He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What more needed to be said? Jesus and his message of the kingdom, they belonged to the Israelite nation. 
And he'd given the same instructions to the twelve when he sent them out in Matthew chapter 10. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of Samaria, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But was this actually what Jesus was saying here in verse 24? Is that why he had come to Tyre and Sidon to teach his disciples once again that he had only come to the lost sheep of Israel? Well, maybe in part. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He was saying, yes, I I realize we're in the district of Tyre and Sidon. And I haven't come here to announce the good news of salvation indiscriminately to everyone here. We're not here because my confrontation with the Pharisees was the final straw in my ministry. No, I haven't given up on the lost sheep of Israel. The Jews will still continue to be my primary purpose. I was sent to seek them out. I was sent to be their good shepherd. But Jesus was doing something more. He also used this moment to test the Canaanite woman's faith for her sake and for the disciples. You know, how would she respond to such an exclusivistic, such an offensive message of salvation? Unlike the Pharisees earlier in the chapter, she didn't take offense at his hard teaching. Nor did she give up, despite what Jesus' words seemed to imply. He hadn't actually said no. And even though Jesus appeared unwilling to help, the woman approached again. And taking the posture of a worshiper, of a beggar. She knelt on her knees in front of him. Lord, help me, she pleaded. Simple, humble, pleading. She presented herself as a slave looking to her master for grace and mercy. Think of Psalm 123. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master. The woman was at his feet now pleading. At Jesus, he could hardly ignore her anymore. So at last, he turned to her and he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and feed it to the dogs. Wow, another insult. The disciples must have thought Jesus was still on a roll. Not only was he refusing to help this Canaanite, but now he insulted her. He said they were the children, she was a dog. Well, it's hard to pick up on the nuance of his words in the English. Your English Bible here does it a little bit. It's true that Jews didn't typically care for dogs, and, and stray dogs were seen as unclean. It's, it's the dogs that eat most of Jezebel's corpse in, in, the, uh, in 2 Kings 9. They roam the streets eating all sorts of things. But in our text, the word that Jesus uses is actually a different word for dog. He used a word that referred to a family pet rather than a stray dog. You know, not all dogs were disgusting. Some were actually allowed in the family home. So yes, Jesus, he called her a Canaanite dog. But it's almost like he did it with a knowing wink. Had he left the door to the family home open, you know, just a crack. 
Well, in faith, the woman recognized Jesus' challenge. She grabbed onto his words and she added, Yes, Lord, I am a dog and the children of Israel must come first. They must eat their fill and and be satisfied. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And so she realized that Israel had priority in God's salvation history. First, the children had to be satisfied. Then the dogs could have what was left. And so whether she was aware of it or not, her words echoed the promise the Lord made to Abraham in Genesis 12. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And here's Jesus, that great son of Abraham. And he had come so that all the families on earth could be blessed. It's true that the feeding time for the dogs had not yet come, not until Pentecost. But in the meantime, surely there were enough crumbs to feed a family pet. And as we see in the Gospels, the children, the religious leaders of Israel, weren't really being all that careful with their food. You know, most of them didn't even want to eat it. Instead, they thought that washing their hands was more important than, than eating from the bread of life. Believing in Jesus. And so in their sinful negligence, some of the crumbs had fallen off the master's table and they had rolled their way up into Tyre and Sidon. Please, Lord. Please, master, she begged, feed a Gentile dog a crumb. Well, immediately Jesus saw what he had been seeking out. It wasn't out of desperation for her daughter's condition that made her persist, but a steadfast faith that wouldn't let go of Jesus even in the face of opposition. And turning to her, Jesus, he voiced his approval of her faith. Oh, woman, great is your faith. Jesus had tested the steadfastness of her faith. And had the disciples noticed the difference between the Canaanite woman's great faith and the self-righteous attitudes of the Pharisees. Have you? You know, the Pharisees and scribes refused to see their need for Jesus' mercy and grace. They failed to recognize that salvation depends on grace alone, on faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But the Canaanite woman, by her great faith, she recognized what the Pharisees refused to see. She was unworthy. She had nothing to offer. And so with an outstretched arm and hand, she humbly and desperately confessed her need and her dependence on the mercy and grace of God. She believed that he alone had the power to save. This is what it means to publicly profess your faith. To believe in Jesus Christ. It means I don't rely on outward acts of obedience to make me feel that I'm right with God. I confess my need. There's no hope of salvation for me except in Jesus Christ. And I confess that I'm unworthy. Even if I was born to believers... Even though I do all the church stuff that I'm supposed to do, I need Jesus or I will die. 
And I can only have him. I can only have his salvation if I fall on my knees before him and hold out my empty hand like a begging dog. Well, the Bible teaches that God is near to all who call on him. He answers those who cry out to him, even a Canaanite, a Gentile dog. And she had approached God through faith in her Lord, the son of David. There was no question about what he would do. Jesus answered the Canaanite woman's desperate cry of faith and he said, eat your fill of the crumbs that have rolled from the master's table into Tyre and Sidon. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly out of mere grace. Jesus, he showed himself to be her savior. What an incredible testimony to the love and mercy he shows to all who call on him in faith. Even us Gentile dogs. Amen.